This podcast is not training or supervision. This is an invitation to delve into these really big topics. When we are talking about clients, please know it is not you. It is a weaving together of stories that come up over and over again. With Edge of the Couch, we are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to discuss in school or even supervision. We are two passionate therapists sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Hello, Edge of the Couch community. I am Allison McCleary. I'm Jordan Piquel. And we are Edge of the Couch. Today we are talking about when you are chronically ill as a therapist. So let's just dive right into it. Jordan, what comes up for you when we think about chronic illness and being a therapist? Immediately I think about how there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of chronic illness. There can be people who are sick and may not identify as having chronic illness or people who do have a diagnosis but are in remission for months and, and years and don't really have that as their lived experience from day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of see it as a spectrum rather than a linear spectrum from one end to another. I see it almost like when you pick a color in any kind of program on the computer and it has that rainbow circle where you can be anywhere on that. The shades of a purple or something. Yeah. Yes. It is complex, whether you have a diagnosis or you just feel crappy all the time and you don't know why, or you go to doctor's lots or you haven't brought it up with your doctor at all, and who is legitimately, and I'm doing that air quotes, legitimately chronically ill and who isn't becomes really complicated. The only experience I can speak to is my own, but just spending so long being really sick and there being no answers and all of my tests for a long time coming back as super normal. It really kind of messes with your mind because then when I'm so fatigued, I can't move off my couch in the evening. I almost gaslight myself. Mm -hmm. Am I even sick? Why? All I did was see clients today and do homework. Why is that so hard for me? And how quickly I got rid of all of that the minute I got an autoimmune disease diagnosis. Yeah. That that switches things in your head so quickly of like, oh, okay. And now it's quote unquote legitimate. Totally. Even though I was sick for so long and I didn't know. And during that whole time felt like very not legit. And you and I having conversations in the fall when I was the sickest I've ever been and saying, I think I'm chronically ill and having this whole clarity and dawning into an identity that I didn't even realize. And then being like, but do I belong in that community? Because I don't have a diagnosis and I I don't look sick when you look at me. Very common with chronic illness. I would imagine so. Yeah. And I imagine that there are people in our Edge of the Couch community who may not have that diagnosis or that identity or be part of the chronic illness community and yet have the lived experience of being really sick and having to schedule around energy levels and illness. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that there can be a way of therapists with chronic illness, chronic conditions can be seen in this in the whole spectrum. And then you layer on top of that being a therapist, this ultimate caregiver role. It does get, I don't know if it's like guilt-inducing, like I need to show up. So how do I show up when I'm feeling like crap? It's really hard. It goes with that idea about being a therapist and not being a human though. Totally. Having pain, that is 
part of being a human. So how are we modeling that with clients, which is easier said than done when it's okay, I'm sick once in a while, you know, I have a cold versus it being a chronic condition. I think that that gets more emotionally challenging. Two days ago, I had to cancel my day of clients because the night before I'd had food poisoning and I was so sick all evening and into the night. That's that awful, Allison. You didn't tell me that. Oh, it was really awful. Uh, being sick sucks. But it felt it was so much easier to cancel clients mm-hmm. because I'm like, this is a very legit thing. I was ill, visibly ill in a way that I'm not normally ill and how much harder it is to cancel clients when I have a headache or a migraine. And you know – I'm really bad at canceling clients when I have a migraine. In fact, it's an issue that I have and continue to work on. I mean, and I've done this too. So I'll speak for my own experience Mm -hmm. that I have had sessions where I cannot see. (laughs) My migraines can make it so that everything looks like a jumbly, sparkly mess. Mm -hmm. And I can't see my client's face. And yet I pretend, I have pretended to be present, to be listening when I am in horrific pain. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about being in front of a client that sometimes the volume is turned down and then immediately when they go through the door, all of a sudden, I am in so much pain that for some reason when a client's there, it's I don't know if it's distraction. I know. That's so unfair to them and to me. Oh my gosh. And I'm laughing because first of all, like the absurdity of it, you and I both having done the thing of literally staying with a client when it feels like my head is cracking open. And the minute they leave, I like lay down on the floor because I'm in so much pain. Exactly. Like there's something silly, so silly and absurd about it. I would never expect that of someone else. Or your own therapist. Oh my God. Go home. <laughs> Literally. Do not do therapy when you are in pain. Yeah. But how it's so much when harder. It's when it's when it's yourself, it's so much harder. So what yeah. do you think is going on for you in those moments? It's so much easier for me to cancel sessions when the later sessions in the day where people aren't already on their way. Yeah. When I was in person and people drove yes. or transited to the office, spent their time to be here. If the client has already come in, it's really hard. At least in the past, it was really hard for me to cancel. Now that I'm online, it's so easy to say, let's reschedule because there isn't that time investment in coming in. For me, it also is my schedule is so tight with clients, school, practicum, and supervising a student that, okay, I might be in pain, but I'll get these sessions done and then I don't have to reschedule them for another time, which inconveniences me in a different way. Yeah. If I have to see these clients on a Saturday, which I, I don't like seeing clients on the weekends, no, because alternatively, I'm not going to see them for another month because that's the next time they're booked in. And it's up in my mind, like mental math around weighing the pros and cons and which is worse, which is terrible because the worst thing is for me to be in pain. Yeah. But it's a harder issue to deal with if I have to cancel and reschedule them. Yeah. There's got to be some even if it's not conscious, that's pervasive in our field that serving clients means minimizing Mm. my needs and centering the client's needs, which of course that is part of our work. And we are human. Yeah. Even if it is inconvenient for you and for them. Also, if you can't make it work with your schedule, I've come to have the boundaries with my schedule because of childcare, but also just for my own self-care. Then I'm not going to schedule a session on the weekend, even if I had a sick day. I don't know. What do you think about that? It's it's this thing. (laughs) It's the this is why we did the podcast, right? Because you and I both talk a lot about you can't be a martyr for your clients. That's not what therapy is about. Our field has done this and it's so problematic for XYZ reason, like up here in this cognitive place of a genuine criticism of the field. But then living the reality of that 
for whatever reason, is so much harder. It's really hard to say to a client, I know that you've waited three weeks for this session. I know that you're in the throes of a breakup and you really need a session, but I feel sick. And so you're going to have to wait another three weeks. It's hard. It's hard and and the reality of it's much harder. That's And see, that's another thing around. If you're in private practice, having fees high enough that you can take time off Mm -hmm. already built in so that when there might be this, I can't cancel a whole day of sessions because I have to reschedule them in order to make rent. Yeah. But if it's already built into, okay, I make this much this year, I will have X number of sick days, which if you have chronic illness, it can be completely unpredictable, but something to think about in setting fees and how many clients you take on. If you're taking on clients, the number of clients that clients can't book a session a month, even once a month, then maybe there are too many clients on your caseload. Yeah, you're preaching to the converted. I I have a very busy practice right now based on the lack of hours. Like I have a small And I'm not seeing a lot of clients per week, but yep, it all becomes really hard. Mm -hmm. The fees thing is so interesting because you were, I had never even thought about putting into my fee structure considering sick days. That didn't even cross my mind. And whether that speaks to just like me not understanding business well or whether it speaks to how few sick days I've taken as a clinician. Let me tell you, they are not many. It is very, very, very hard for me to cancel clients. Very hard. It takes a lot of mentally me being like, you can do it, Allison. It's going to be fine. You can do this. Yes. Even when, oh man, sometimes I've been sick, sick, sick. See, when you're talking about the cold or flu, post-pandemic, I think that might be something that's shifted where Mm. it might turn into a virtual session if you have the wherewithal to do it. But I can't imagine that we're going to live in a world where people are going to go into spaces with other people when they are actively sick in the same way. Capitalism will continue to exist, so I'm sure that that will Mm -hmm. still be a thing. But I imagine there's got to be some, just a tiny shift in the way that we think about things because that didn't really occur to me in the past when I've been sick. It's occurred to me when clients are sick, (laughs) please don't get me sick. (laughs) Please don't come here if you're coughing or sneezing. Yeah. I've had clients come in with a fever. Oh my God. (laughs) So I hope that having virtual counseling, an available alternative, Mm -hmm. people still have access to counseling. And for therapists with chronic illness, maybe it is having some portion of your practice being virtual because it's so, at least for me, it's so much easier to cancel sessions that are virtual versus Mm -hmm sessions that are in person. Yeah. It's so interesting how money and finances are so closely connected to this chronic illness conversation because I think sometimes clients come to therapy because they're scared of being charged the cancellation fee. And so another thing is being really fluid in your cancellation fee that if you say to people, if you cancel within 24 hours, you pay 100% charge, which is my fee. But if someone tells me they're sick, I don't charge them. I have a pretty firm boundary around it. And with the exception of illness. Yes. And I I say if a client has chronic illness, that we have a conversation about an ongoing practice, depending on how their chronic illness comes up, Mm -hmm. what it's like for them, because it can come up in so many different ways. How can we find a way of scheduling that works for them that is sustainable? Yeah. And if you can flip that back, right, and like hit a mirror and bring it back into ourselves. The biggest mistake I made as a new therapist, I was so desperate for business and I wanted to build my practice that I said yes to everything. Mm -hmm. 
working Saturdays, working evenings. I saw way too many clients in a week. Thankfully, I wasn't chronically ill at that time, but I can't even imagine what would have happened if I had been because it is so much harder to cut days off, to not have weekends available or not evenings than it is to slowly add things. So if you are a person who has chronic illness and you're becoming a therapist, the biggest piece of advice I can give you is to start small and build slowly to really listening to your body and get to a schedule that works for you and is maintainable because once you commit to a schedule, it is so difficult to change it. Definitely. And knowing how your chronic illness shows up, mm-hmm. are there flare-ups? I'm someone with migraines and when I have a flare-up, it can last, I call them migraine trains, that I'm getting a migraine every day or every other day. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that, how do I shift my schedule looking ahead versus spoonies? The idea that that you only have a set number of you know sessions that you can do in a day on an ongoing basis. And then there's, I call it a weather system where I can sometimes tell the difference when I wake up in the morning. Is this a day that I'm going to feel what I call migraine-y? Mm-hmm. I hate that moment. <sighs> Uh, I don't cancel sessions, even though I know it's more just like I internally take it easy. Okay, just take everything slow, take more deep yes. breaths. Even if I don't have a migraine, I will lay down between each session, trying oh, to be yes. as calm as I can because the more that I worry about getting a migraine, the more likely it is that I'll get a migraine. Tell us a little bit about how chronic illness or being chronically ill has shown up in your life and in your practice. Sure. I guess I want to say off the top that I don't identify as having chronic illness, though literally in this exact conversation, I'm like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're describing being chronically ill. Yeah, but I don't have that identity. I'm not in the community. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't have a diagnosis. Okay, well, let me let me go here. So I do have a diagnosis, but it's not of an autoimmune disorder or an autoimmune disease. I have what's called an arteriovenous malformation, a brain AVM, and I have mm-hmm. multiple brain aneurysms. So what this means for me is that for years, I have had migraines, extreme horrible migraines, not knowing that I had these things in my brain. I've had a handful of seizures in my life too when it's at the extreme, completely depleted beyond Mm. my capacity. I've had a few seizures in my life, but when I got that diagnosis, it made sense as to this. these are why I have these migraines, these migraine trains. Migraines show up this way, but my AVM is located in the area where I see my right visual field. And that's how it always starts. It starts on the right and then it takes over my whole visual field. Yeah. So that's kind of how it shows up for me. And because I don't have that connection with a chronic illness identity, even though I do have a diagnosis, but it's not what is traditionally a chronic illness diagnosis. I mean, maybe seizures is, but I have had very few of them in my life. Some of it is when I'm working with clients who have chronic illness, I might disclose that I have migraines, but I don't say, oh, we're similar because in my mind, we're not. I don't have fatigue in the way that a lot of people Mm. with chronic illness have fatigue. I can have fatigue related to the migraines, but it doesn't look like what I see a lot of people with chronic illness, what it looks like for them. So that's part of, I feel on the periphery, but I definitely have some experience to have to take that into account in my scheduling and just the way that I approach my my cancellations and my exit plans for between sessions or even during sessions, even though I've never had to use that. I don't know. 
What about you, Allison? What has been your experience, your journey with chronic yeah. illness? Before I get into that, I do want to name in this moment, I'm having a really interesting sense or reaction of wondering what it's going to be like for our clients to hear this. Because if our clients listen, I don't know, maybe they don't. But I don't talk about how sick I've been with my clients. Yeah, literally no one knows about my AVM or brain aneurysms. <laughs> literally, I had brain surgery in October. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Um, yes. And it wasn't open brain surgery, but it was brain surgery. And I took it's- two weeks off, you know, and I had clients like, oh, what are you doing for the weekend? And just like, oh, nothing much. And okay, see you next session. Even though I could have died, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not no, laughing. No, I shouldn't yeah, laugh at that. But just that, I mean, it's kind of it was very serious. It was very it's serious. Is what it yes. is about how I kept that from clients, and I, I think I would still make the same choice mm-hmm. because it's such a scary thing. I think it would make it about me. This is a space here in this podcast, and is yeah for other therapists. So to me, this is a different space in my disclosure than it would be in a session with someone. But then I wonder, so let's say a client hears this and they bring it up. It could be really juicy, interesting stuff. Yeah. If you're a client and you're listening, please bring it up. If you are having a response to it, I'm pretty comfortable with being able to respond to things that people have told me. I have clients say all the time, like, oh, I follow you on Instagram and I know you're a mom. Yeah. I go, oh, I didn't disclose that to them. But the fact that they know that I'm a human and I don't feel... Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel super vulnerable for me to respond. I think that's also part of it, Allison, which is last year and when I had my surgery, I was in a completely different place around the diagnosis. Yeah, it was fresh. It was so fresh and scary. I have come to a place that I feel grounded in it and well, that's so I've nice. gotten a lot of therapy around it. And obviously, it's still a really scary thing. But if a client asks me, I'm not going to crumble. You know, I'm not going to melt into yeah. existential crises. Dread. Yeah. I feel like I can share this now and not worry that much about clients listening. That's so great. I'm glad. What about you? Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm in a doctorate program, as I've talked about before. And my personal experience of a doctorate program is that it's very wearing. I'm simultaneously running my practice and doing the program. And the podcast. And and the the podcast. And I have a boyfriend, so that's work too. But there's a lot on my plate right now. And something I'm working on in my own therapy is how to be okay with putting down some balls that I'm juggling. It's fine to drop balls, but I don't, Mm -hmm. which is why I've ended up in situations where I'm sometimes so maxed that I'm in migraine land for days. And the reason I brought up the doctorate is because it just puts this stress on your life in such a way that it's constant. You just really never get a break from it. It's five years full time of just school, 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 pressure, pressure. Always something due. There's always something to read. And I think that really just took my body to this place that it couldn't it very much felt like a gun was already loaded to some degree. And then beginning the doctorate really pulled the trigger for me. So I get chronic migraines as well. Chronic migraines meaning like 15 a month. Yeah. This fall was the sickest I've ever been. They hadn't been that bad before. I would get one or two a month. I would take my meds and they would stop and that was it. And I'd had some swatches like four or five days, six day migraines, once a year type thing. And then from really September till January of last year into this year, very, very, very sick. Feeling this whole sense of what is happening? Yeah. Going to the doctor and getting no answers. My meds, they became med resistant. So my meds weren't doing anything. And we were having to up the meds. And there was talk of injectable Toradol. And it just got very intense. Nothing was working, which just takes you to such a hopeless place too. Talk about 
mood wise, it is so hard to think straight and have hope when you're in so much pain. And you didn't have a diagnosis at that point. Mm -mm. Well, I still don't have a diagnosis that explains migraines. Okay. So the migraines are still a mystery. I just think we found the combination of vitamins and meds that keeps them at bay, which is so nice. Oh my God. It's been life altering. So interesting during that time, I think I canceled like two sessions in that time frame. I was so sick. And I was so sick. I think my clients would be shocked to hear this. In January, beginning this new semester, had to reach out to my teachers to be like, hey, I don't know what this semester is going to look like. I've been very ill. All of them who I had been with this semester before being like, what? Yeah. That's on me to some degree too, right? I didn't ever bring it up. I didn't let people know I was sick. I told three friends that I wasn't doing well. And my partner, obviously, who, man, in every way picked up the slack and took such good care of me. And what is that about, right? Like, here's where I'm trying to do work around. How could I not have pulled it back a little bit? In hindsight, what was I doing? And so unnecessary. My clients would have been fine. But there's something in me, and this is a thing that I deal with in other ways too, where I just feel really bad if I can't show up for my clients, even though I know that that's problematic. And probably my clients would rather not know that they're seeing me when I'm really sick. And even when my clients have chronic illness and are very ill and talking to me about their illness, I'm not talking to them about it. I'll say, yeah, I get migraines. Oh, Mm -hmm. man, they are so tough. But that reaction, that moment in no way actually matches what my reality of having migraines is like, which is that they are often debilitating. Yes. Should I stop being a therapist? Should I quit school? They take me to that place. Then there's these overarching power structures capitalism being one of them, but just this idea that 100%. you need to produce and we live in an ableist society yes, for we do. you to have disabling migraines and other symptoms is not supposed to factor in to your productivity. An invisible illness. I can't show anyone the level of pain that I'm in when I have my migraines. I'm not throwing up. I'm not bleeding. You won't see it even. Well, my heart rate does increase like significantly, but especially because I have really conditioned my body mm-hmm. to push through the pain so much. You actively hide it. And I so do. do I. But in terms of how sick you are, you didn't tell very many of your friends. Even the people that you told, it's like, oh, I've I did been not. sick. And not sharing the experience of what it's been like. And so there's some stuff there that it's it's with clients, but it's mm-hmm. also just being open about your experience with all the people in your life. 100%. This is embarrassing. I don't know, not embarrassing, but it feels vulnerable, which is that I love when people tell me mm-hmm. how much I'm doing and are like, I could never. And I'm like, Allison. Yeah, yeah, isn't that like that's there. It's stirred into all of it. And I get this resentment. And I talked to some classmates about this and some people around it where when people are like, I'm really busy in my head, I'm like, <laughs> you think you're busy? Oh, and no one is as busy as I am, which is work I'm doing in therapy. This is why when we go underneath it, there's stuff there. There's personal stuff. There's community and cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to prove you're sick. If you're not sick, you better be producing something. Structural. And then there's also guilt around not serving my clients. So yeah. If I can't see a client on Monday and I can't see them for another three weeks, I sit there and I stew on that and I worry about it when they're probably fine. They're probably fine, but that really does come from a good place. You have real concern for, you know, real care and concern for your clients, which is a good thing. It's when it comes at the expense of your own capacity. And when it gets into an infantilizing situation that I'm the person who's going to save them from there. I mean, not that that's what you're 
maybe maybe there's a part, but yeah, just yeah. there can be that for a lot of us, that underlying idea that if I don't meet with this client, then they aren't going to be able to cope. Therapy is super important, so yes. I also don't want to minimize that, but yeah. from a therapist perspective, there can be that idea of I'm the person that helps them through. They can't say stuff like that. Yeah, they do. I really needed this. I've been waiting for this all week. But it's so lovely and I'm so happy that the therapeutic space is one that feels comforting and clients look forward to and that contributes to my guilt feeling. It's this fluid, multi-layered piece of being human and built-in power differential that one person is there to be supported and one person is there to do the supporting. Even if there is some element of mutuality and here in the podcast, the value statement of our podcast is that therapists are whole people. Feels like it gives me goosebumps almost. It's, It's profound. It just, it feels permission giving, but then also kind of scary. And now I look back and I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if I had just said to my clients, I've been very ill. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to see clients for the month. I think 99% of them would have been completely fine with it and said really kind, loving things. And maybe even a point of connection yeah. in that. But then there's still a part of me that worries some of them would go, well, then I can't, I can't be your client anymore. I need help. That might be how it is. Yeah. Let's say that you and I want to move into sharing more when we're completely in debilitating pain that we actually tell clients and end the session. Yeah. Whether it's because you need to end the session or even just I'm thinking about people who have back pain. I know there are a lot of therapists who have chronic back pain and have to constantly shift the way that they sit Mm -hmm. or have some kind of contraption in their chair and disclosing to clients that, hey, this isn't this isn't me being bored or antsy or something like that. This is me trying to manage my pain. But also that's a disclosure and maybe that feels really intense and you don't want them to take care of you. I mean, yeah. what do you think about that? It's such a fine balance because we it really has been hammered into us in school and in, in other settings that the session should not be about you. But how do you disclose something yeah. like an AVM no. and not have a little bit of it be about – and you and I, again, like, yeah, we're whole people and we work from the idea of the relational piece, the energy flows in both directions. And how do we find that balance? We've talked about it enough – but not so much that it became about me. It's tricky. I have for years considered putting it in my consent that I have migraines and I just yeah. haven't. But I think if it were to happen in real time, saying I really wish that I could continue the session, I want to be able to hear you. But because I'm feeling so sick, I'm not able to show up for you properly. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think it best that we reschedule. That's in a fairy tale land. <laughs> and Narnia example, because I've never done it. But <laughs> that's how I think I would do it. Well, having that exit plan of what would I say? Because often we don't have the wherewithal. So being able to practice or have that phrase in your back pocket would help in those moments. You know, I can't disclose to clients that I have an AVM or brain aneurysms because that is terrifying. That is so much information. When we talk about the spectrum of chronic illness, my lived experience on a day-to-day basis is very limited to when I'm talking about pain and fatigue. There can be weeks or months, well, more like weeks that I don't have migraines. And my diagnosis is the kind of scary diagnosis that no matter what would shift the focus. Yeah. And it's like a Grey's Anatomy type. It's a very serious, seemingly very scary thing. So I I understand that. It makes me think about um, clinicians who get cancer. And it reminds me of this story in in our ethics class in my doctorate. We were talking and I think a classmate, I'm sorry, whoever it is, I can't remember, shared a story about 
a therapist having cancer and not telling their clients and then dying of cancer and their clients having to find out that they died from the receptionist, like sending them an email or whatever the case was, or reading about it in the paper. And what is that about? If I'm imagining, it's about not wanting to scare the client and make it about you. But God, there's got to be some type of, I'm being a giant hypocrite, but like there feels like there should be a line of, I should be able to talk about this in order for us to feel closer and for you to understand me and me understand you. And yet it still feels very scary to do that. Just like all the other ways we show up, we can't know how a client is going to take anything that we say. Something that helps me is being able to think about if I were the client and my therapist was going through this thing, how would I feel? Mm. How would I feel if my therapist is in pain or completely at their capacity, fatigued? I want to know that because I see my therapist as a whole person and I don't like that feeling. It feels almost that thing of being infantilized. Totally. I'm fine. Take care of it yourself. It is infantilizing. Something about that as the client for me feels a little bit icky. Obviously, not all clients will respond that way, but putting ourselves in the client's role and imagining what that scenario would be like from the other end Mm -hmm. can give us a little bit of information about what it might be like for clients. That's a really, really wonderful exercise. If you're a new therapist or a student therapist, remember that. How would that feel as a client to hear if I found out my therapist had been in pain every time we met? I would actually be kind of mad maybe. Yeah. Why did you come here? Don't do that. We need to remember therapists are whole people, and that means that sometimes we cannot show up for our clients in the way that we want to show up. Really look at your capacity, examine it, and self-reflect. Yeah, totally. What I would like to send listeners away with is the idea, it's just a reminder because it's obvious, but I want to speak it into the universe anyway, which is that you can live with chronic illness or be chronically ill and still be an exceptional therapist. Yeah. And to say otherwise, and the shame or the secrecy around it is ableism. I agree. It's important that we talk about illness in our community and not keep it shrouded amongst peers. We need to name it and talk about it. Do you want to send us out, Allison? Thanks for listening. And and thanks for hearing our stories because this was a vulnerable one. Yeah, I can feel pinkness in Mm -hmm. my cheeks. Mm -hmm. So this has been Allison McCleary. And I'm Jordan Piquel. And this was Edge of the Couch. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. Oh, 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 oh,